Welcome to the Wait Park Church Sermon Podcast, a ministry of Wait Park Church in Northeast Minneapolis. We do everything we do because we believe life with Jesus is better. If you like what you hear, we'd love to have you swing by and join us for worship. We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and have other groups and ministries on various days of the week. You can learn more by going to waitparkchurch.org. Our scripture reading can be found on page 780 of your Pew Bible. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let those who boast, boast in the Lord. Amen. I, I love that scripture. And, uh, and I think the, the reason I love that scripture is, is because I think it's a very great, uh, it's a great, uh, concise articulation of what the gospel is. Okay? Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were really all that great, <laughs> to be honest. Okay? But you were called, and, and this is the case for all of us, that we were called not because of anything great that we did, but simply because we have a God who is gracious and merciful. And, uh, and, and that's, you know, as we do these testimonies, there really have been a couple of, like, major threads throughout the whole thing. Of course, the first one is, is a lot of times the passion that we have in life comes from our experience. And, uh, and of course, the second one is, is that we are not the hero of our own story. And, uh, and of course, God is the hero of our story. And so whenever you are, are list- or when you're listening to these testimonies, I hope what you're hearing is not people standing up here saying, hey, look at how great and how spiritual I am. But what you hear is, is look at how God has worked in my life. Look at how God has changed me. Now, one of the things that we see um, oftentimes uh, in our society is, is, that, is that people kind of have the, the other issue. Uh, and, and, and the issue is this, is that we feel like we need to make ourselves good enough for God to love us, okay? It's not that we, you know, how many of us really believe that we're the hero of our story? How many of us really believe that we are so great that God couldn't help but accept us? Like, God is lucky to have me, okay? I don't know of very many people who actually, you know, deep down feel that way. Some people might ask, act that way, but, but most people don't feel that way. Uh, and the reason is, is because we know our faults, okay? We know that we are just not all that. But the amazing thing about Jesus is that he takes us and he says, you are acceptable to me. He takes us and says that you are worthy, even in your sin, even in your failure, even in your shortcomings, that you are invited. I desire you to be a part of my family. Uh, and that's something that is really amazing. And, uh, and I think the testimony that you're about to hear today uh, is one that is 
a great illustration of that. And so I'm going to ask Allison Bowie to come forward this morning. So why don't you uh, welcome Allison up here to the platform. So this is Allison Bowie, and uh, rather than me taking the uh, time to introduce her, I will allow her to, to introduce herself. So uh, let's go ahead and start with that, Allison. Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what are your, you know, about your family, work, hobbies, how you came to Wait Park, how long you've been here, all of that. Give us the, give us the lowdown. Okay. Um, well, my name is Allison Bowie, and I'm married to Tom Bowie. Um, Lucky him. <laughs> and uh, we, we first visited Wade Park in 95 or 96, I think. Um, we lived in the little white house across the alley, and we came over. And we did like the church a lot, but we were still searching. I would have to say that I was probably looking for a church that would um, kind of affirm all my bad behaviors and, um, you know, just kind of make it okay for, for me to be who I was Monday through Saturday and then come to church on Sunday and be churchy and um, kind of figured out right away, I, I could just feel that that was, uh, I would have to probably change some stuff if I started, if I came to this church regularly. Um, we have two grown children and um, one lives in Chicago, and one lives in Hudson, Wisconsin, so I'm not super excited about them being out of the state, but they're so happy. And we have a daughter-in-law and a grandbaby, and you might, if, if I look vaguely familiar, it's because I'm always running around the neighborhood. I am absolutely obsessed with running, so I do that a lot. And, and so how long, you know, you said you came here in 95 or 96, and then you didn't for a long time, and so when did you come back? I think it's been like three years. I remember I came on, um, I came by myself on Memorial Day and then brought Tom to church in the park. Yeah. And, um, and we both, you know, I, I was, we came back and just absolutely thought, oh, I think I need to be here. He came to church in the park and he was like, yeah, this is a, this is a really good church. Let's keep, let's try this again. Yeah, it's hard, hard to imagine the church without you now. After just three years. Oh. <laughs> um, okay, so tell us a little bit. In fact, I'm going to fix your mic here. Is that okay? Yeah. Hopefully, All right. Hopefully that stays up there and doesn't bother you too much. I can't even but, feel it, which is weird. Okay, good. All right, um, okay, so uh, let's start to get into your story a little bit. Uh, what was it like growing up in your house? Well, my, my mom and dad got married when they were in high school, and um, we, we weren't a churchy family. Um, we did go to church for a little while. I was born in Decatur, Illinois. It's where my parents met. Um, I think my parents were 12 and 15 when they met, and... Um, so they were they were partners for life. 
Um, so parents weren't religious. We did go to church for a while because my dad's boss wanted him to go to uh, his church, the Episcopal Church, and that was really fun. Had a lot of good times there. Um, but then we moved up here and my, uh, moved here to Minnesota from Illinois. We didn't stick with church. Uh, I, my, my parents were okay with church as long as it didn't get too Bible-y and too Jesus-y. Um, and they were really dismissive of uh, the people that we did know that lived uh, God-centered lives, more modest lives. Um, my parents were quite modern. Um, but they weren't, they weren't believers themselves. So no. what, how would you describe their, like, their own like, religious, uh, how would they identify religiously? My dad identified as an agnostic until the end. And so he was willing to consider there was a possibility. My mom is a proselyte. Well, she's changed a little bit in the last two years, years, year and a half. My mom was a proselyzing atheist. She, both she and my dad worked um, to, to make sh- sure that my sister and I were not believers, were not part of the church family. Um, okay, so so then tell me what it was like growing up in that house uh, for for you. Like, what were some of the um, like inter- internal things that you were mm. were dealing with as you were growing up? So, um, what what I think saved us was that my dad was a traveling salesman, and we would um, drop him off at the airport Sunday night and pick him up Friday night. So he was gone a lot, but. Um, there were, there were rules at our house, and um, definitely the biggest one was do not embarrass this family. And then look good. That was another one. Um, you know, just be the best, look good, um, and good was whatever dad decided at the time it was what we were going to be. Um, he literally would pick my mom's clothes out every morning. And um, he tried to have a lot of input into what my sister and I liked, what we did, how we appeared. Um, and also, you kind of never knew, like, like if we could, we weren't allowed to talk at the dinner table unless my dad granted us permission to. Um, he, uh, it was just really, you never knew what was going to make him mad or what he would, he, one day he would think it was funny, and the next day he would be angry about something. So always on eggshells in our, in our household. And so what, what were his desires for you? What were his, his expectations for you? Well, first off, he was horribly disappointed that I was not a boy because he, he and my mom got married because, you know, they, uh, so my mom always said, just go straight to the dance. All kinds of things happen if you don't, if you stop and park. So that was my mom's advice growing up. So, yeah, so they got married at 15 and 18. They had my sister, and so they had their girl, And then I was supposed to be the boy, and I was planned. And then I came out, and I wasn't a boy. And so I heard that a lot, that I was supposed to have been a boy. I I knew what my my name was going to be if I was a boy. Um, Allison was kind of an on-the-fly name. Um, There's a couple different stories about how they came up with that, and I don't think any of them are true. I think they're just giving me a hard time. Um, yeah, so definitely I wasn't a boy. I tried really, really hard to be a boy, but that wasn't okay because my dad found that embarrassing. So obviously he wanted a real boy. And um, I mean, I literally tried to be a boy. Like I had 
cut all my hair off, I wouldn't wear girls' clothes, played, all my friends were boys, and um, uh, I played in a creek all the time. It was a great childhood, but, um, but yeah, I, I always felt like he didn't want me. And, and so one of the things that you mentioned to me is you said, and I think I'm quoting you here, is I couldn't pull off the image that my dad wanted. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You know, he was always, do not embarrass his family. And I had multiple surgeries as a little girl. I, I was cross-eyed, and I had a boy's haircut, and I had glasses, and sometimes I had to wear an eye patch to school. So obviously, it was, you know, people were going to notice that, and it didn't look typical. Um, yeah. And then at 11 or 12, then they noticed something about you. What was that? Yeah, so I had always had headaches and obsessive thoughts and this racing thoughts and things like that. I'd always been kind of a quirky little kid. Like, I think I first started feeling um, butterflies in my stomach when I was five or so, and I, they've never gone away. Um, and so when I was probably 11 or 12, I started ticking. Um, having involuntary movements of my muscles, and even sometimes I, I can stop the movements, but it's, it's really painful. It feels like it's just not something I should do. I need to just tick when it's time to tick. Um, yeah, and also like hypersensitive reflexes, uh, startle response that, um, you know, I, I feel sorry for people because if you're behind me and I don't hear you, I'm going to startle, and it's not... It's not your fault. You know, it's just how it is. Um, and, and later on, uh, then they had a diagnosis for that, and it was? It was Tourette's, but actually, I it's kind of like looking back and remembering. Some, um, going, I was going through some old journals and stuff. It wasn't actually till I was an adult that I heard the word tick, or Tourette's. When I was a kid, they told my parents I had nervous tics. And one doctor said to my mom, I think you should just ignore it, and it'll go away. And the other doctor said, well, you're going to have to get her over this. So give her a little, just, just a light tap on the back of the head when she's ticking so she knows she's ticking. And um, my mom was like, eh, it's, I'm not doing that. It just doesn't seem like a good idea. So, so I'm grateful she wasn't going to do that. She didn't remind me every time I was ticking. My dad did. My dad really didn't like the ticks. He, he really just got embarrassed by it. And, and so all of this, all of these... Uh, things, the messages that you were getting growing up, the ticks, the, um, you know, dad wanting you to be a boy and all of that, just reinforce this message that I'm inadequate. Oh, yeah. Right? That I'm not good enough for Absolutely. anyone to really love me. So how did you deal with that? Well, um, also, at the, you know, we had moved up here. Uh, Indicator, I had friends and nobody cared that I was funny looking and ticked. And, um, we, and we all dressed weird because we didn't have any money. Um, but when we moved up here, uh, I, get, I started getting teased. First off, I, I didn't have the right clothes. It's the weirdest thing was apparently it was the 70s, and the stripes on your tube socks are supposed to match your shirt where we lived in Brooklyn Park, and mine didn't, and, and um, you know, just things like that. So I started getting teased, and then the ticks were getting worse. I was getting teased about that. So I would spend as much time alone as I could. I would walk home from school because the bus was not safe. Um, I would go for long bike rides by myself, I would read, and then I, parents put me on the swim team, and I swam a lot. I, there were, we had days where we, would, we had the option to swim six hours a day in the summer, and I was like, I'm in, I'll do it, I'll go. 
and, um, and then I also started running when I was about 12, and that would just kind of help me calm, calm my body. But I also had discovered, unfortunately, uh, when I was two, we were at a, uh, was at my aunt's wedding, and I picked up a drink, and I drank it. And apparently I liked it. And I walked all over the, the wedding reception, and I emptied everybody's drinks, and then I begged for drinks, and people would give me drinks, and then I passed out in the hallway. And so um, that's just been this family lore. I had alcohol poisoning. Um, I could have died, and I'm glad I didn't. Um, but, you know, they... they that's, I heard that story so many times. So I was little. I was like six or seven. I'd go around and just steal a little bit out of people's glasses, and it was everywhere. Everybody drank. Excuse me. It's just water in there. It's buddy. just water. <laughs> Haven't had a drink in nine years. Um, but yeah, so that's God. It's God. Got nothing to do with me. Um, but yeah, so uh, I, I, was, I was stealing alcohol, and I knew that, like, I remember one time my parents had these little chocolate, um, chocolate bottles full of liquor that they'd gotten as a Christmas gift, and I stole them all out of the refrigerator and ate them, and I felt so calm and good, and I had just a great day. Of course, it stopped working, you know. I mean, it worked until it didn't. That's how, that's how alcohol and that kind of stuff is. It works for a little while, and then it doesn't work anymore. So over time, it became a problem for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so then, what was, your, what was your introduction to Jesus? So you grew up in an atheist home, essentially went to church maybe a little bit, but it wasn't really reinforced. Uh, started drinking at a young age, had all of these feelings of inadequacy and, and all of that. Uh, when did you get introduced to Jesus? Well, there was this little core group of girls. Actually, I knew them from fourth grade on, um, and they all went to church together, and they were believers. And my one friend, Jane, her parents um, had been missionaries. That's how they met. And um, they were always the kids that were consistently nice to me. I would have, I would have friends for a while, and... Um, and then, you know, they weren't true friends. They were party friends or maybe sports friends and stuff. But these girls, like, I always knew no matter what was going on, I could sit down and eat lunch with them. Or uh, one of them lived by me. I could walk home with them. Um, I actually did hang out more with one, one of the girls, like, outside of school. We went and did stuff. But my parents, um, they didn't, they tried to kind of squash that um, that relationship down because they, they met my friend's mom and they didn't like how, I think they thought she, they were too, my dad referred to her as a Bible thumper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But these were, the, these were the kids in school that accepted you for who you were. Oh, absolutely. And also, like, on my swim team, there were a couple families that were believers and those were the parents who took an interest, an active interest in me and seemed to really not just care about their kids, but care about all of us kids. And then um, as you got older, I think you were maybe in college or upper high school age, then you met some more believers, right? Yeah, actually, I went to um, Atelier. It was, a, it was a studio school of fine arts. I had no business being there. I didn't want to be there. Um, your, your dad wanted you to be an artist. My dad wanted me to be an artist, and he told me I was too dumb to go to college. 
Um, he told, he, we, we went to tour the University of Minnesota, and he looked right at me and he said, well, I would send you here, but it would just be a waste of my money. And um, he would, had gotten in his mind that he wanted me to go to this place called Atelier Lac, which is a, a cool place. But um, I did get there. I, I did get there my second year of atelier. I went to a different. First, I went to a lower atelier, and then I got into the high one. But really, didn't want to be there, nor did I really have the talent to be there, which is fine. But there were there was a group of of gals there. Oh my goodness! Yeah. So there was this this group of women. I was 18 years old. They were all adults. Nobody goes to atelier when they're 18, and so there. Uh, I, you know, I, I didn't have enough money. To, I was working full time, going to atelier. They would make sure that I had food because, uh, you know, I didn't have any money. Sometimes I didn't have any food. Um, take me out to lunch, spend time with me, and you know, I was doing things I shouldn't have been doing. And they would listen, and and they never said, "Oh, you shouldn't do that." They would say, "Well, this concerns me." But they never said, you shouldn't, or this is what you should do. And um, one of those women, Rosalie, she gave me a Bible. And I, I did read it. I, I, I rolled my eyes and said I wasn't interested, but I did read that Bible. But they, but they continued to uh, invite you to lunch? Oh, yeah. Continued to invest in you? They, they invested a lot into me. And when I left Atelier, I felt a lot better about myself. And what, yeah, I was going to say, what, what kind of impact did that have on you, their acceptance of you? Well, it made me think that I might be able to have a relationship with God. Um, they walked with the Lord. And, um, and it made me think, yeah, this is actually possible. I, I still wasn't totally sold because why would he want to walk with me? That was, I, I didn't get that, you know. So there were, I would just, when I was with them, I felt like maybe it was possible that I could be something more than just dumb, funny-looking kid who doesn't need to, you know, who actually, I was really conflicted about morality because I knew it was right to walk with Jesus, but then I was also like, yeah, but my mom and dad aren't going to like me anymore, and none of my friends, and I'm going to have to stop doing all this stuff that I do that's just gotten to be a habit now. So you, you, so basically, um, over the, in that period of your life, you met uh, believers who represented God to you, and they accepted you. They absolutely, yes. And so it started to open that door to yep. you, for you to think, maybe God might accept me as well. So when did, when did that become real for you? When, did, when, did your, when, did, when would you say you started a relationship with Jesus? So January, um, well, we had, I got married and all this. So it's kind of a normal life, thankfully. Um, we went to church, and I did definitely, you know, I believed in God, and I, wanted, I took my children to church, and I wanted them to know about God. I didn't get how much he loved me and that I could have a relationship with him. And then um, January 25th, 19, uh, 29 years ago, 2014, January 25th, 2014, I said to Tom, I said, I think I'm an alcoholic. I have to go to AA. I didn't know anything about AA. And he's like, yeah, I think you are. It might be a good idea. <laughs> and um, uh, Good to get that affirmation. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, thanks, honey. And... Um, uh, he, um, so I, I went into AA and I sat there and I was listening to these, these people. And of course, they don't really say Jesus in AA. Well, they don't because there are a lot of people that haven't accepted 
Christ is their higher power. But they talk about this higher power, and I was like, well, I believe in Jesus. He's my higher power. But it really helped connect me to what that meant, that actually letting Jesus be in charge of my life, letting Jesus decide who I was. Yeah, that's just letting, uh, letting Jesus decide who I was and realizing that he wanted to be with me and that I, I had a... I, I deserve to, um, I, don't, I, I don't deserve his grace, I don't deserve his love, but I'm no less deserving than anyone else. I always thought there were these nice girls that Jesus would want to hang out with, and then me. It's not sure if I can be explaining it well. So, when you came into relationship with Jesus, you started to realize that you are loved, you're acceptable, that you could be a part of God's family. And that also helped with your drinking as well. Yeah, it, I, um, I would not have gotten sober if I hadn't um, been able to like just really turn everything over to God. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, I, maybe, maybe if, I hadn't, if I just turned it over to a higher power, I still would have gotten sober, but I don't think it would have... I don't think it would have been the same. I don't think it would have worked. Like, understanding that um, everything's not about me. I'm not the center of the universe. I'm not the worst person on the planet or the best. Because everybody wanted me to be, you know, growing up, everybody wants to be the best at everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think that I would, uh, I, I would be able to, like, show up and, and do things for other people because I'm really, I, I'm oddly shy, even though I'm standing up here. I'm, I'm super shy. But I can do that because I know that I'm part of this family and like I, I, I'm joking, but I know you guys love, I know all of you love me and some of you like me. <laughs> and I love you all too. And like you all. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So um, you've been sober for nine years. So tell me about like, you know, feelings of uh, inadequacy and feelings of worth and, and all of that. Uh, did, did all of that go away too? Is that something that you still struggle with? And, and how does Jesus uh, help you in that? Um, no, it didn't go, it doesn't go, or it didn't go away. Maybe it will someday. Um, I made a list of things that I tried to be growing up and, um, uh, I was just kind of laughing about it, you know, starting out with a boy and then trying to be the fastest swimmer or smart or um, avant-garde or, and, you know, just trying to be, be something. I didn't realize that just being Allison was enough. This is God made me this way. Um, and, yeah, it's, I have tics, and my brain, doesn't, my brain doesn't work like other people's. Like, I can't go through a I, – I can't go to a – concert or crowd, uh, be in a crowd of people without getting lost because I have Tourette's and that's just the way it is. So, um, and that, and that's okay. It's, it's, you know, it, Romans, which I, I wrote down my, my, my verse cause I, I knew I'd get nervous and not be able to say it. Romans nine twenty one is what I can consider my life verse that, ugh. I can't find it, but that's my life verse. But yeah, no, I still, I still struggle with it. But I, you know, I know that God put me here just to be the, the the everyday dishes. Like I don't have to be anything special. I can just. It. I really, really like the fact that I'm, I'm just 
someone who goes, comes to church and gets to, gets to do all this fun stuff but isn't, you know, isn't the best at anything and isn't, like, blowing anybody's mind. I'm okay. And that's okay because you know that you're accepted by God. Right. Yeah. So, okay, so maybe you've already answered this, but I guess you could reiterate it again. Um, thinking back on your story, thinking back on your testimony, what would you say you've learned about God through it all? That he doesn't change, that everything that he wrote, that he, all the words that he gave us were for all of us, and it, it doesn't change over time. And, um, yeah, it, that he is consistent, and he's going to be there. And I also have learned that um, he, has, he has some pretty strong expectations for me, and that's awesome. You know, he expects me to show up. And um, he can be disappointed, I think, if I don't. Um, I think as I listen to your story, there, there are a couple of things that really stand out. And if I were to say, here's, here's what I think maybe, and you can maybe come up with your own, but what I would think are, um, are a couple of t- uh, takeaways from it. Uh, I would say the first thing is, is this, is that... You know, the core of the gospel is, is that we don't have to measure up in order for God to accept us. Uh, God's grace, like Mark said earlier, that made me really proud, Mark, that uh, you're, even, you're even using the words that I, okay, that God's grace is unmerited, right? God's grace is unmerited, but it's not unconditional. And it's not unconditional in this sense, is that he, his, when he gives us his grace, it's an invitation into relationship with him. Uh, which is an amazing thing to think about the fact that the God of the universe who created the heavens, who is holy and righteous and completely and and other, uh, wants to have a relationship with me, knows me by name. And it's not because I've done anything great. It's not because of how awesome I am. uh, But it's because he is a gracious and merciful God. Just an amazing thing. And and so if, if there are some of you who are struggling with uh, you know, th- things that you've done in your past or things that you continue to do, um, just know that you have a gracious and merciful God um, who wants relationship with you. Yes, he wants you to improve. He wants you to sin less and all of those things, but that's not the basis for his acceptance of you. Um, and he will say, I want to have a relationship with you and I want to walk with you through all of the struggles of life. The second thing that I hope that you picked up there. And, and I think you've seen it in all of the testimonies that we've shared so far, and it's this, is that God always seems to provide a believer as a catalyst for his message. If you think about the, the girls in high school and the, the ladies when she went, off, went, went to college um, who accepted her as she was, who was her friend when no one else would be, when you know, the, the ticks and imperfections and all of that stuff didn't matter. They actually represented God to her. And so as you are uh, going about your life, understand that you represent God to the people around you. And as you accept them, as you overlook the things that, that other people do not overlook, and you invite them into relationship then people are able to get, a, I think, a tangible glimpse of God and his love for us. And so you can represent God in, in that way. And I think, you know, as I listen to your story, it's, it's actually a, a powerful and moving uh, story that 
gets me every time, oh. actually. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's thank Allison for sharing her story today. Heavenly Father, I want to give you thanks for, I mean, for all of these testimonies, but specifically today for uh, Allison and for her story, for uh, you finding a way to communicate to her that she is loved and accepted, no matter how she felt about herself, no matter how others felt about her. And I pray that each of us could live securely in your love and your acceptance of us, that we can know that we are a part of your family, uh, not by means of anything that we have done, but by means of your grace and your mercy, your life, death, and resurrection that forgave us our sins, that overlooked our shortcomings and invited us to be a part of your family. And so we just give you thanks for that today. We pray this in Jesus' name. You've been listening to the Wake Park Church Sermon Podcast from Wake Park Church in Northeast Minneapolis. We hope this week's sermon helped you learn to know and love Jesus more and serve him in your unique place in the world. If you have feedback or questions, get in touch with us by emailing podcast at wakeparkchurch.org.